Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share the audio from my National Leadership Development Day webinar, where participants learned about developing an authentic leadership style grounded in servant leadership theory. Welcome everyone to the National Leadership Development Day um, webinar on uh, an inter an iterative model of sustaining authentic servant leadership. Um, I come to you from Human Capital Innovations, which is my consulting firm, and I'm also a professor uh, and chair of the organizational leadership department at my home university at Utah Valley University, and I'm the academic director of the Center for Social Impact. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have the chance uh, to talk with each of you and to share some thoughts uh, that I have around servant leadership uh, and authentic uh, leadership as we move forward today. Uh, just a little bit more personal background. I, you know, I, I've been doing this for 20 plus years and it's really a passion of mine. Uh, I do a lot of work around organizational development and change management. And I do it all from this framing and this lens of servant leadership, uh, both my academic um, side of the house, the work that I do and the, what I teach and the research that I do, um, but also uh, in the consulting work that I do in reaching out to organizations and trying to help um, organizations develop more people-centric um, cultures and uh, help leaders to develop more servant leadership style approaches to how they work with their people. What we're going to talk about today is really developing that authentic leadership style grounded in servant leadership theory and understanding the need to develop feedback loops and having a more reciprocal process in terms of our self-discovery and our understanding of others and how that will lead to a more continual and self-sustaining approach to our leadership. So some of the things I hope that you'll take away by the end of this session, uh, how an attitude of service and humility can lead to powerful and meaningful leadership, the importance of critical self-reflection in the process of our growth and development, and how to foster a growth mindset that will lead to lifelong learning and the development of yourself and those you lead. I'll start with a discussion of my own model as it relates to servant leadership, the intersection of leadership and service, the parable, the blind man and the elephant, a brief discussion about the diversity wheel. I want to share with you a frog in the well, which is a Korean proverb that I learned many, many years ago that I've always um, really loved and has stuck with me. A brief look at breaking free of our functional silos and then the need for interdisciplinarity in our organizational um, 
work and the diversity and um, inclusion and equity work that we do within organizations. And again, I think all of this is grounded in servant leadership. So here is my model. Oh, sorry, I went one too far. Um, and this emerged years ago. I was actually sitting in a graduate course. Um, by this point, I'd done quite a bit of consulting work. Um, you know, I'd done a lot of academic work. I'd already um, come to some conclusions about my own sense of style and how I wanted to approach leadership. Now, sitting in a in a leadership class, and uh, we were talking about leadership theories, and you know, you have transformational leadership, and you have uh, all these different types of um, leadership theories that influence how people might approach leadership within their organizational context. And it was uh, an interesting discussion, and we were you know, exploring the pros and cons, but really I was not particularly satisfied with any of the theories. Um, and, and they didn't explicitly call out servant leadership theory either, by the way. And, and so we were talking about all these different approaches and I could see the pros and cons and I could see, you know, the context in which they might apply best. And ultimately though, I, I didn't feel like any of them really got to what I felt like was most important. And so I have to admit that day in that graduate course, I kind of disengaged mentally I, I stopped participating in the class and I just kind of sat in the back. And as I can kind of continue to listen out of one ear, I started jotting down my own model uh, and what I thought would be important. And it wasn't until years later, as I started to become more immersed in um, the literature around servant leadership and having more leadership experiences myself, that I realized that that's actually what this was. This was, um, this was grounded in servant leadership theory. And so I start with this personal bias and assumption that we should be servant leaders and that there's a clear intersection between our service and our leadership, that those who are willing to roll up their sleeves and work alongside their employees to empower them and to help get things done, that those leaders will be seen as more authentic in their relationships. And those leaders are the ones that will be able to, um, create more positive work environments that have greater outcomes. So that's my assumption. That's my bias. And I think there's a lot of research to support those assumptions. Um, uh, but I just want to share that up front. So as I, you know, as years have gone by, I've only tweaked this model ever so slightly from what I developed way back then a couple decades ago. And it's held true to me um, that we need to for, first and foremost seek personal understanding and understanding of others and that that's a reciprocal process. So at the top of the model here, you see self-knowledge and understanding. Um, you see how that then influences understanding those you lead and serve. And I've per found personally in my life that as I'm open to critical self-reflection, as I'm open to really some, some, the hard work of introspection, and to understand what drives me, what motivates me, and why, um, what my, prior, my priorities are, what my values are. As I learn more about myself in all of those areas, then I have greater capacity to then develop compassion and empathy and better and greater understanding for those that I work with, whether they're colleagues, um, you know, that are at the same hierarchical level as me, or if they're people that I lead and serve. Um, and as I interact more with others, and as I 
authentically seek to better understand them, not coming to them with an agenda, but just listening and being with them and um, really learning from them and understanding them. That I, as I have more understanding and more empathy, then then I actually learn more about myself. And my hope is that this would be a lifelong process for myself. That that over time, as I go throughout my life, I will be in a better position to truly understand everything about what makes me tick and understand what makes other people tick and, and recognizing that every person is an individual. Every person um, will have their own unique set of priorities, their own unique set of values, their own unique set of drivers, and that that might change over time, uh, depending on life stages, depending on where they're at. And uh, so this in and of itself, um, this self-knowledge and understanding and understanding those you lead and serve, this piece alone, I think, is so vital to effective and authentic leadership within organizations and uh, a critical piece of servant leadership. As you go continue down the model, though, um, then you have this idea of developing leadership skills and abilities, competencies and capabilities. Uh, and that's why we come to seminars like this. That's why we go to school. That's you know, why we go into lead, leadership development programs and organizations where we work. Um, there are practical skills that we can develop. Um, and rather than being prescriptive about saying, here's a list of 10 things that you need to learn to be an effective leader, you know, we, I, I view it more like we're, we're putting quivers in our, and, and, and tools in our toolbox and, and, and we're building out the possible ways that we might approach the challenges that we face. So we develop a greater, um, palette of, of, skills, abilities, competencies, and capabilities um, to deal with the challenges that we face in different contexts within our organizations. But learning about those things and even developing those practical skills, we, we truly don't start to live them until we, until we start to apply them. So we can, everyone on this call today, we can all um, read all of the great books by management thinkers. We can read all the research. We can learn all the theories. We can do all of that. Um, that alone will be helpful and it will be insightful and, and hopefully we can have some good takeaways. But until we actually start applying it into our daily lives, um, until we really start to apply those skills and abilities in practice, uh, in real life with real people and real interactions and in real contexts, then we're not going to actually improve our ability to lead and serve other people. And we're not going to um, develop our ability to, to be authentic leaders. Um, so during that application process, though, then we will uh, further be in a position where um, we can gain important feedback on ourselves and on others or from others about our leadership skills, capacities, and capabilities. And, and so I see this as hopefully a continually reciprocal upward spiraling um, type of a model that over the course of our lives, we will have the chance to, um, to further develop and probably never arrive. Uh, but we, as we can continue to put a concerted effort towards it, we will uh, be able to be, become greater servant leaders that will provide great value to our people. So that's, that's the foundation of everything I want to talk about today in terms of uh, servant leadership and in, in this self-sustaining model. This is what I'm referring to. Uh, as we move on, oh, 
slide is stuck. There we go. Um, blind men and the elephant. We've all heard this before, I think. Um, this is this is not new, um, but it's it's really important as we think about um, our uh, perception of the world around us. So as the, the old proverb goes, the blind men and the elephant, they had all these blind men and they, they come across this elephant and each of them with their, in their own little micro context, they are experiencing this elephant, but they don't have the broader picture. They don't have the broader context. Um, so one person is, is holding the, the trunk, the, the leg of the elephant. They think it's a tree. Another person is holding the trunk and they think it's a snake. Another person um, grabs the, the, the tusk and um, they think it's a spear. Another person touches the ear and they think it's a fan. The other person touches the broad side of the elephant, thinks it's a wall. The other, the tail, they think it's a rope. Like each, each one of these people with their limited um, perceptive capabilities, uh, they're doing the best they can to make sense of something that's unknown to them. And without sight, they're relying on touch and feel and ultimately none of them are right none of them actually see the bigger picture that this is in fact an elephant this is in fact um, an animal um, that that they can't possibly comprehend without getting input from each other um, so it, within organizations we want to develop and foster cultures of shared communication shared learning um, and and understanding the value of diversity and I think this, this directly relates back to servant leadership because unless I'm open to diversity, unless I'm open to, to the, the unique perspectives and backgrounds uh, of, of others from all different walks of life, whether that be socioeconomic, racial, ethnic, um, sexual orientation, gender, whatever the case may be, whatever type of diversity we're discussing, we need different perspectives uh, to have a better sense of what we're actually dealing with. So here you see the diversity wheel. Uh, many of you have probably seen something like this before. Um, the crux of this though is, is just recognizing that there are lots of layers to diversity. So when we're thinking about creating a culture of equity and inclusion within our organizations, where everyone feels a sense of belonging and of you know, feeling that they are valued and that they have a, an authentic opportunity to contribute, we need to consider all these facets. And the ones that we always talk about are like gender, physical, mental ability, age, race, you know, these outward manifesting types of characteristics that we can see, that we can observe. And that's important, like we need to focus on those things and we need to make sure that there's equity and, and inclusion in relation to those. But then there's other things that we may not be able to know as easily, uh, rate, uh, religion and belief, social class, sexual orientation, ethnic, uh, ethnic heritage. And then in the outer ring, in the green ring, we have things that are even harder to, to, to ascertain unless you really get to know your people. So um, all sorts of experiences and background, communication style, cultural background, political beliefs, family status, organizational role and level, um, community relationships, expertise, health, income, all that kind of stuff, right? So we have all these layers to the onion that we start to peel back as we get to know other people. Um, and we have the opportunity then to, um, to better experience um, those that we work with as we take a more um, uh, inclusive approach to understanding those around us. 
So now I want to, to illustrate this through a Korean proverb. I lived in uh, South Korea for many years when I was earlier in my career. And during that time, I learned a lot of the language, the culture, uh, and I really enjoyed and appreciated a lot of these proverbs that I learned that came from either Buddhist or Confucius teachings. And one of them I learned early on was frog in a well. Now, this is similar in meaning to, if, if any of you are familiar with the uh, Aristotle's allegory of uh, the cave, as, as someone starts to emerge from the cave. Same idea, emerging from the well. So if you think about what it's like to be at the bottom of a well, uh, it's cold, it's dark, uh, it's wet, um, it's, it's isolated, right? You're, it's limited. You, you only see a small piece of the sky above you. So, so there's a lot that you don't experience. So if you're someone that is outside the well and then you fall in, you know, that is confining and you feel trapped and whatever. But imagine you're a frog at the bottom of the well that you were born at the bottom of the well as a tadpole and then you grew into a frog. Um, you don't know any different. That's just your whole life experience. And so Koreans will use this proverb to describe people um, if they're like a frog at the bottom of a well they walk around with blinders on. They, they don't really see the full scope of and, and embrace the full um, range of diversity in the world around them, whether that be the beautiful landscapes, the variety, you know, uh, and the beauty of, of animal life, the, the, the expanse, expansiveness of the sky around them, all that sort of thing. And so what we want to do is we want to become like a frog outside of the well. We want to become um, someone who rises above the limited understanding of our youth, where we all are products of our own uh, families and the culture and values and beliefs that we're taught as young children. And then as we grow up, we, we start to realize, you know, that things are more complicated than we thought as a child. We start to have exposure and experience more of the world. We start to interact with people who aren't like us. Uh, and we start to learn that there's more to the world than we previously knew. So we're like frogs rising out of the well. And once we get out of the well, at that point, we have to choose what we're going to do. And human beings tend to not like uncertainty. They tend to like things that are known and comfortable. And so many people will get outside of the well, so to speak, and they'll look around and they'll see the broad expanse. Um, but they'll also realize that there are now predators. There, there are animals that might try to get them. Um, and they're comfortable in their well. They know the well. Um, they're used to the well. And so they'll just go back into the well uh, and, and they'll live out their life and they'll be happy there. Um, others will look around the landscape and they'll see that, hey, they're not the only well that's around. There's actually lots of wells. So there, you know, there's wells dotting the landscape and there's little frogs peeking their head out of all these wells all over the place. And they'll decide they want to go explore a little bit. And as they go explore, they'll start uh, they, they might even go down another well. And, and in effect, they'll trade ideology for ideology. They'll take one limited perspective, one limited set of beliefs, and then trade it for another limited set of beliefs and find a new comfort in, in, in that kind of certainty that they find in another kind of well. And then still other um, frogs, they, they get outside the well and they might even explore and they might even look inside other wells, but ultimately they decide they don't want to be in a well anymore. They want to live free. They want to ex explore. They recognize that there are dangers associated with that, but they want to live their fullest life and they want to, to uh, have the opportunity um, to experience everything that the world has to offer. And I would posit to you that I think that is what we would um, 
try to reach for in our own lives through lifelong learning that we have the opportunity, we have the capability um, to continually experience new things, learn uh, from others, uh, learn from other people's backgrounds. We don't need to get rid of our own beliefs and values um, that we learned as children, that we, that we developed as we grew into adults, um, but we, we do need to learn how to embrace the differences around us and see the beauty in the differences around us and become more comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty and difference and all of those sorts of things. Uh, and again, coming back to the model uh, of self-sustaining um, servant leadership, an iterative model where we continually learn more about ourselves by learning about others, I think that inherently means we have to embrace an inclusive mindset. We have to embrace a growth mindset. We have to seek lifelong learning. Otherwise, eventually, we will, if we think we figured it all out and we think that we have arrived, we think that we now understand others, that's going to inherently limit our own ability to continue to learn about ourselves and to learn and grow in life in general. That brings me back to organizations and thinking about leadership. So how can we break free of our functional silos to leverage diversity and drive organizational innovation? Um, you, so now we can think about even those, those frogs in a well, think about them as functional silos within organizations. We all have our own areas of expertise. Uh, we have our own life experiences. And even within each individual silo, you might have some diversity. But we also have to break down the silos and we have to reach across functional areas and divisions and departments of organizations so that we can work more collaboratively um, to drive greater levels of uh, innovation. It's important to have people that are experts. And so I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't have expertise, um, but there's also danger if we never cross-pollinate ideas across groups of experts across different areas. So within academia, you know, I'm a professor as well as doing consulting work. In academia, this is a huge problem. We have all sorts of these siloed effects um, where you have people who are over in psychology doing their own thing and people over in business doing their own thing and people over in sociology doing their own thing. Even though there's so much overlap between all those areas and you would hope that they would cross-pollinate their ideas as they're doing research and as they're doing innovation, innovative work to, to help both the science but also pr the practicalities of leading organizations. So we need to do hard, that hard work. And it is hard work um, within an organizational setting. You know, organizations and bureaucracies emerge to sustain the status quo, to maintain themselves. That's why they exist. Um, it helps to perpetuate the organization. Um, so while there's a lot of value in that, it also can hinder creativity and innovation when people start to become siloed. So again, let's get out of our well, let's get out of our silo, let's find ways to have organic interactions where we can cross-pollinate ideas and, and more uh, successfully interact with each other. And I'm a firm believer that the successful organizations of tomorrow will be led by individuals who have a, a much higher level of, of comfort with ambiguity, with uncertainty, that recognize the need for interdisciplinary recognize the need for um, innovation across silos and, and embrace diversity as they 
fulfill their servant leadership mandate to to uh, to work with the people in their organizations. Um, so I'll end with this: uh, the importance of interdisciplinarity uh, in organizational diversity. Interdisciplinarity, of course, involves the combining of two or more disciplines um, across boundaries. So we help professionals within any organization to develop transferable skills, to, to develop a transferable and integrated knowledge, insights, problem solving, self-confidence, self-efficacy, passion and continue, uh, for continuous learning, and focusing on recognizing bias, thinking critically, tolerating ambiguity, and acknowledging and appreciating ethical concerns. Um, these are the types of things that we want to foster within organizations in addition to disciplinary uh, expertise or functional expertise. You know, we do need that deep knowledge. We do need the expertise, but we also need, we can't just be a mile deep, in it, an inch wide and a mile deep. We also have to be have the capability to be at least a little bit broader and wider so that we can communicate with people who have other areas of expertise. Um, with that, I want to open it up and provide some time for questions. Um, so I will, here, here's my contact information. Uh, you can find more about me and my work at innovativehumancapital.com. Feel free to reach out to me at john.westover at gmail.com. And uh, I'm gonna stop sharing and we can take questions for the remainder of our time. And don't be shy, feel free to unmute yourselves. We ended up being a small group because of the technical difficulties and having to switch uh, meeting, uh, Zoom meetings. I apologize for that, but that does mean we have a nice little more uh, intimate uh, grouping and we can just have a nice dialogue. Hey, Jonathan, this is Cliff. I'm curious, you, you sat on the back of your, your class on leadership and were developing your own model, but obviously you stumbled on servant leadership somehow, somewhere, and I'd be curious to know what that, how that journey started and um, can I assume Robert K. Greenleaf figures into your uh, your journey? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't become aware of Greenleaf until years and years later. Um, ironically, so so I think I, I'm a religious person, um, uh, and and spirituality is important to me. And so I think I think that's partly why I, I naturally gravitated towards that kind of a style, that kind of an approach, without even knowing anything about servant leadership um, or Greenleaf. Uh, or anything about any of that research or any of those writings. Um, so I, I kind of naturally gravitated towards that as my own kind of natural approach and style uh, and thinking about, you know, how, how would I interact? What do I see as the right way to interact with people, um, to empower people and to help people become their best selves? And, and as I got into practice of doing consulting work and working with leaders and finding myself in my own leadership um, types of um, positions, you know, that, that became how I tried to approach um, working with other people. And, and then it really wasn't until maybe, and I'd have to really think back on the timeline, but maybe six or seven years later that then I started to, um, discover Greenleaf. And it was so interesting to me because I was like, wow, this is a complete validation of everything I kind of thought on my own um, without the, the support of understanding that there's actually this whole, um, this whole uh, 
group of practitioners and this whole group of, of researchers and thought leaders around this whole area of servant leadership uh, that directly tied back into my own kind of conception of how, how I started to develop my thinking and, and practice. Uh, and since then, of course, I've read a lot of that work uh, that informs um, what I do. And uh, if any of you are interested, um, you know, I have a podcast, the, the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, um, where I share some research, but I also, I interview practitioners and we talk about different aspects of, of organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and, and those sorts of things. One of the, the recurring series that, that we have in the podcast is um, a weekly servant leadership series. So every week uh, for probably about the last three months amidst COVID, uh, probably not three months, the last two months, um, that, that I've been having weekly servant leadership conversations where we dissect different pieces of servant leadership theory, different principles, different specific um, topics, and, and dive into those more specifically for 30 to 45, even 55 minutes. Um, so if, if you're interested in servant leadership and you wanna you know, have more um, into both the research but also the practice of it, um, I would encourage you to check out the podcast and, and look specifically for the Servant Leadership Series episodes that are kind of scattered throughout the catalog. That sounds really interesting. Would that be on your website then? Uh, yeah, so you can go to the website to find it. Um, it's also, you could just search in any podcasting platform. Um, it's, it's available in all of those. So the Human Capital Innovations podcast. Okay, great. Thanks, Jonathan. Absolutely. Um, I hope that provides a little bit more context for where I'm coming from. Other thoughts, questions, anything you want to dialogue about? I was going to say you, you came upon this intuitively and Greenleaf talks about his own leap of intuition sort of coming up with the idea himself. And it's, it's not anything that belongs to any specific religious or philosophical tradition, but it's interwoven so deeply in so many the idea of leading by serving and, and vice versa, that I think it's a human approach that maybe uh, you found validation in that instead and, and resonated with it. And I think so many of us do when we stumble on Greenleaf in whatever way we do. So, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was heartening to see that you were presenting this and uh, I'll look forward to checking out your podcast and being in touch. Thank you. Great, thank you. Great. I'll be checking it out as well. I've I've heard about servant leadership, and um, now I need to look up Greenleaf as well. So I, I was curious in terms of, you know, many of the challenges that you go from manager to leader, and it you know it's it's less about doing, and I. And I'm just curious about that challenge that leaders have with delegating and things like that and how it relates to servant leadership. Yeah, interesting. So um, I actually just yesterday recorded a podcast episode on empowerment and delegation and servant leadership. Um, so you might want to check that one out specifically. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really great, great question. And we, you know, we talk a lot about the importance of empowerment and delegation, and leaders simply don't have 
the bandwidth and the capacity to do everything. Um, that's why you have people. That's why you have a team, and and you need others to pull their weight. Um, but but that doesn't happen naturally, and you have to you have to create a culture of empowerment that is built upon a culture of trust. And uh, and I believe built and the, both of those things are built on a on a foundation of servant leadership, uh, an approach that you take as your leader with your people. Um, but there's there's often a perversion of empowerment or delegation. So while it's necessary, um, I think a lot of leaders end up doing things that they call empowerment or delegation that really are just exploitation. Um, they're and they're actually just trying to outsource their own accountability um, or or delegating out all of the crap work that they don't want to do. Mm. Um, and it's it's not really about empowerment at all. And it's not. It's not about delegation in the sense that we normally would think about it in terms of helping others to grow in their capabilities and their capacities and their skills. Um, now, certainly, you know, leaders, excuse me, leaders can't do everything themselves. And there, there is more tedious types of work that they're going to have an administrative assistant do, or they're going to have other people in their team do aspects of it. So I'm not suggesting that an organizational leader, say at the in the C-suite level, should be doing all this tedious type of lower level work. They need to free themselves up to do strategic stuff. They need to do people management stuff and and um, all of the bigger picture stuff for sure. But they need to. They can't just just get rid of all the crappy stuff they don't want to do mm, and dump, and dump right. it on to other people all the time either. And they need to remember where they came from. They need to remember. Um, they need to remember who's who's doing the hard work um, on you know the front lines of the organization to try to help the organization be successful. And ultimately, um, if if they can stay grounded and even participate in some of the more kind of tedious, crummy work from time to time, roll up their sleeves, go work alongside the people in their organization, that will go a long way in developing relationships, developing trust, um, and helping others understand that the leader has their back uh, and they'll be more committed and likely and loyal and likely to have their leaders back as they develop those types of relationships. And empowerment isn't about exploitation. It's not about, you know, what hap what happens often in organizations is you have some employees that kind of float to the top. You know that they're really great employees. You know you can trust them. You know you can count on them. And so you continually dump on them. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's pro often probably not even intentional, but you're, it's ju you're just doing it because you know you trust them and you can count on them. Um, but we, right. need to, we need to recognize that people have limitations and there's bandwidth issues and people have lives outside of work and they have families. And, you know, you, so you, people um, who, who are good workers who you can count on, they may not be very inclined to say no to you um, or push back when you dump another thing onto them. And so as a servant leader, I need to recognize that as I share responsibility with those in my team, um, that I'm also, uh, I'm only empowering them if and when I can find a good balance between the workload that I'm giving them and my willingness to, to participate in that work myself um, and actually setting them up for success. Because if I'm just dumping on people, they're going to burn out. 
Uh, even the mm -hmm. really good ones, over time they're going to burn out. They're either going to leave or they're going to check out mentally, uh, and they're not going to be productive anymore, and they're not going to grow. And as a servant leader, that's my goal is growth. I want everyone that I work with to ultimately fulfill their potential, uh, increase their capacity, and uh, even surpass me in what they're capable of doing. And that, that's my mentality uh, as a servant leader. And so as I'm looking to delegate or um, share responsibility with others, if that's my framing to start with, that's probably going to change the way I go about my delegation. You know, that's Jonathan, fantastic. you're, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying that's fantastic. Go ahead, Cliff. Well, I was just going to say, Jonathan, what I'm hearing you say, Dr. Eric Russell is a colleague of yours? Yes. Yes. Well, I just participated, I'm participating in a, a class and, and he was one of our presenters last week. And one of the things he closed with was actually, he, he's had to deal with a lot of people in corporate America and other organization, you know, organizational structures who think that being a servant leader is being a pushover. And he closed with saying, actually, it's being very selfish. If you're really a good servant leader, you ultimately will benefit from all of those you serve who have benefited from this process because as they rise to the top and they succeed, you will succeed beyond your wildest uh, dreams and far beyond what you would have done if, if they did what you said, burning people out, using them until they no longer can perform. And it's really not self-serving even to do that. So he wasn't suggesting we should be selfish or self-centered, but we also benefit by being good servant leaders. And that was really uh, very powerful for me. And I hadn't quite thought of it that way, Marianne. So you might take a look at that aspect of it as well. Yeah, you're right yeah. business. If your people are dying left and right, you're, good, you're not gonna succeed. Your business will go away. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that's a really important insight. And just because something's good for me, I mean, they're not mutually exclusive ideas that I can only do something that's good for me or only do something that's good for my employees, my people. Like you can do things that are good for both. And there definitely is a business case to be made for servant leadership. It's not just about the warm fuzzies. Though there's, it, it, you know, I hope that people would be intrinsically motivated, you know, to be other oriented, right? But even just looking at the bottom line effects and the value to the organization and the business case of it all, it makes a whole lot of sense to have authentic empowerment of people helping them develop and grow in their roles, develop their capacities and capabilities. And then everyone's lifted, including the leader. And the leader is more successful when everyone around them is more successful. So if, if I'm a micromanaging leader, if I'm kind of a tyrant boss type of leader, who's just kind of giving marching orders and expecting everyone to do what I say all the time. And there's lots of leaders like that. If that's my approach, I'm, it, it's going to be way harder um, to, to do that work than it would be if we just dedicate more time up front to creating sustainable relationships and then seeing the fruits of that as everyone works well together. Uh, that's going to drive greater collaborations, greater innovation, and help me as a leader look better. So it's self, it is self-interested. Like if, if I want to be the best leader I can be, not just for the warm fuzzies, but to actually, you know, maybe for my own career or whatever, then I should be a servant leader. I should try to develop those around me. Um, mm -hmm. It's not mutually exclusive. Well, you mentioned the warm fuzzies and that's, 
obviously, ultimately, as human beings, that, that should perhaps be, we hope, our, our greatest motivation. But some people need permission for them to feel good about doing that as well in their organization. So you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head when you say that if everyone around you is succeeding in your team or your company, you're going to succeed as well, obviously, because you can't do it all. You've made the case for it in a very powerful way, Jonathan. Yeah, and I, 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 hope, I hope that people will just consider um, even small ways that they can start to implement some basic, very basic principles. I mean, nothing in my, in my model that I shared at the beginning of my presentation was anything complex, right? It's, it's fairly intuitive. Um, it's, it's not rocket science. Uh, anyone can start to do that. Um, and it just starts with an intentionality around um, understanding ourselves. And if we're willing to be reflexive and we're willing to put the time in to develop relationships and we're open to feedback and can put in mechanisms and feedback loops, um, then, then we're going to be in good shape. So you can really start simply um, and then build from there. You mentioned uh, Greenleaf, and I'm wondering that his little orange book, uh, Servant as Leader, was the pebble in the pond that sort of started this whole thing. It was his very first essay, and I would, would you recommend that if people aren't familiar with him, of starting with at least that? Because it's very simple, as you say. Yeah, that, that is a great book. That is a, a wonderful place to start. Um, I think it's very easily digestible. Um, and... And there's lots of resources, though. I mean, if you just go Google servant leadership, um, the, mm. Greenle the Greenleaf Center has so many great um, uh, resources. There's lots of videos out there on YouTube. I mean, there's podcasts. There's all sorts of stuff. So if, if this is something that's interesting to you, um, you can definitely um, start to learn more about it very quickly. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I, re I really enjoyed listening to um, Carol Dweck to the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. If if anyone on the call hasn't listened to that, I, I thought that was really fantastic as well. Yeah. I, I heard you mention that. Yeah, I think I think fundamental to servant leadership is the idea of mm -hmm. lifelong learning, and that we just we just never we have never arrived. Um, I, sometimes I'll tell leaders that I'm working with, you know, some of the dumbest people that I know in my life are the most intelligent people. Um, and they're like intelligent in terms of IQ. Um, they're intelligent, you know, in terms of maybe accomplishments they've had in their life. But once you think that you figured it out and that you've learned what it takes to be successful, um, once you come to that place where you feel like you, you know, then mm -hmm. you're not pushing the boundaries of your own knowledge and understanding anymore. And, and so I, I really do in my real life, I know some incredibly like super intelligent people, like IQs off the charts, but they're kind of hopeless. You know, they, they don't interact well with other people. They, they're so convinced of their own genius that they're not willing to learn new things. And, mm -hmm. and, and they just make really stupid mistakes and they, they, they fail to see some pretty, blatant and obvious things because they're not open to continual growth and development. Whereas, you know, it's the old tortoise and the hare um, story. But if you, if you have people um, that are willing to just put in the persistent effort, you don't have to be a genius to become 
an incredibly wise person um, if you just continue to grow and develop over time. Um, and it's not a race, you know, it's life is, is a marathon and we just, we just do a little bit more every day. Well, uh, any other thoughts, comments, questions from anybody? Marianne, I'm going to ask you the name of the person again that you mentioned at a podcast. The Growth Mindset? Yes. Uh, Carol Dweck. Dweck, how do you spell that? D-W-E-C-K, Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that's right. Dweck, okay. Growth Mindset, thank you. Yeah, it's fantastic. That's a good endorsement, I'll check it out. Yeah, that's that's another great book and very um, easy, like digestible read. Um, and 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 there, I think there's a a, a TED talk or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. podcast. There, there's something out there. I had my um, college student listen to it. Yep, I also fully endorse her book. Well, if, if uh, it, so it sounds like perhaps we've about run our course. Um, someone did put in the chat, Rachel put in the chat. Um, uh, and again, Rachel, I apologize. With the technical difficulties, we had to switch over. And I know there are people that were planning to attend that weren't able to join us. Um, I am recording this. I will um, post the recording um, on my website. Um, in the webinars area of the website and I'll and I'll probably also put the audio on my podcast too so I hope you know everyone would be willing to go check that out if you didn't get to listen or watch to the whole watch the whole thing and I apologize again for the technical difficulties um, if there aren't any other questions or comments I guess we'll just go ahead and end it there uh, thanks everyone for joining me it was a pleasure um, spending this time with you and sharing a few of my thoughts and ideas. And please feel free to reach out to me anytime. Um, uh, you can reach me again at john, J-O-N dot Westover, W-E-S-T-O-V-E-R at gmail.com. Thanks everyone. Thank, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.